Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, thank you, George. Good morning, WCC. It's wonderful to see you all. And uh, thank you for being here. I know we've got a lot of families who are sick and traveling, so be sure to pray for them. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We're continuing in the sermon series as we go through the book of Hebrews. And uh, I've talked about this a few weeks now. It turns out that, that uh, the first chapter of Hebrews is about Jesus being God, being fully God. And then in chapter 2, the author transitions and he starts talking about Jesus becoming Man, So Jesus is God, but he took on flesh and blood and became a real man. Well, the beauty of this time of year is this is the message of Christmas. This is one of the great truths of our faith and one of the great mysteries of our faith, that Jesus is God and he came down to earth at Christmas to become a man. So this week we're going to continue thinking about the humanity of our Lord Jesus. Um, Something I want to say, too, that, that this is, uh, you'll see this if you haven't thought about the, the humanity and the deity of Christ. This is a very complex subject. This is a very mysterious subject when you start thinking about this. And one of the things I want to stress is I love simple sermons. I love simple gospel presentations. I think those are wonderful. Um, but I remember when I was not a Christian, a lot of times I would go into churches and all I heard all the time was simple gospel presentations over and over again. That's all I heard. And I remember being a non-Christian. I was in college and one time I went, I think I only went to church maybe once or twice when I was in college. But one time I heard a pretty deep sermon on marriage at this church. And I remember thinking it, it intrigued me. So as we're, one of the things I want to stress is I don't intentionally look for complex subjects. It's not like I go out of my way to do that. But as we come to these deep truths like in Hebrews 2, I'm not going to just brush over them and act like they're real simple. So I want to deal with these complex things. And also I want to stress this, that sometimes these deep things can be used by the Lord to reach non-Christians. Sometimes, because when I, I'll just be candid, when I was a non-Christian and all I heard was simple gospel presentations, I thought Christianity was a simple faith just for simple-minded people. And it's not. It's not. As we talked about last week and we'll see today, there are deep mysteries to the faith. So again, I don't want to go out of my way to look for these things, but when they come as they come in the text as we're going through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, I don't want to just brush over them. Okay? And again, God can use those to reach non-Christians. All right. So we're looking at Hebrews 2, we're looking at verses 10 to 18, and I've been thinking about this as I have been looking at this, this section of Scripture, I've come to realize that these verses are some of the most important verses in Scripture because they provide a wonderful description of our faith. The author is going to unpack these verses later, so I'm not going to discuss every single topic now. For example, he touches on Jesus being a high priest I'm not going to talk about that much now because he's going to develop it later on. But I do want to emphasize that this passage of Hebrews 2, verses 10 to 18, we have this wonderful summary of very important truths about our faith, like Jesus becoming man, which we'll look at today, like Jesus being our sympathetic and faithful high priest, about Jesus being 
the, the, not only is he the high priest that offers the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. He offers himself as a sacrifice on the cross about him defeating the devil and delivering us from the fear of death and about our continuing relationship with Christ, about how Jesus is our Savior and our brother. So there are certain passages that most of us as believers will go to that are wonderful summaries of the faith. John 3, Romans 8, Philippians 2, a number like that. Well, I've come to learn that this passage in Hebrews 2 is one of those important passages. So I would just encourage you to add this section of Hebrews to the list of your favorite Bible passages. Because this, this section, I think it's one of the most important sections of Scripture. I think it's very underappreciated by Christians because I don't think we go to Hebrews very often. So I would encourage you just to spend a lot of time thinking about this section and meditating on it, really pondering it. All right, let's read it. Uh, let's read Hebrews 2, 10 to 18. And I've already preached through some of this. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I am going to kind of make comments as we go through it. So let's look at Hebrews 2, 10 to 18. It says this, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, that is God the Father, he in bringing many sons to glory and saving his people should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's Jesus. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies, that's Christ, and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source, all have one or one father, that is God the Father. In other words, Both Jesus and us as God's people have the same father. In other words, we're part of the same family. Then he goes on, he says, that is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. And now the author is stressing that Jesus is human, part of the same human family that we are. Verse 12, saying, I will, these are quotes from Psalms, I will tell of your name to my brothers In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus is saying that to to the Father. And again, I will put my trust in him. Jesus is saying that to the Father. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14, since therefore the children, that's us, the children of God, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. So Jesus partook of flesh and blood. He became human. That's what we're going to talk about today that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. In other words, Jesus did not come to die for angels, but for us. Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So Jesus is both, as I said, the priest who offers a sacrifice and he is the sacrifice himself. He died, when he died on the cross, he died in our place, taking the wrath of God upon himself. That's what it means to make propitiation for our sins. Then finally, verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted So what it's saying, so even now, Jesus helps us in our day-to-day lives because he's gone through suffering and temptation. We'll talk some about that today. So again, this is an amazing passage. There's so much good stuff here. And again, I'd encourage you to spend a lot of time thinking about this passage. Memorize portions of it. Let it sink deep down into your heart and really ponder it and meditate on it. 
All right, what I'm going to focus on this morning is, is what the author is showing us, is that Jesus is truly human. If you look at back in verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. Jesus shared in our flesh and blood. Verse 17, it says, Jesus had to be made like us in every respect, in every way. So Jesus was a real human. In verse 13, this is Jesus again speaking to God the Father. And he says, I will put my trust in him. So Jesus is speaking and he's saying to the Father, I will put my trust in God the Father. In other words, again, we'll talk more about this. Jesus lived by faith. He lived by faith in God the Father. Jesus was a man of faith. He was a a believing man and he lived by faith in God. So in his humanity, he had faith in God the Father. So the author of Hebrews is stressing that Jesus shared in our humanity. And in order to save us, Jesus had to be made like us. He had to be fully human. The only difference was he was without sin. Jesus never sinned, but in every other way, he was like us. And I want to keep stressing this. It's helpful to think about the fact that Jesus had two natures, and that's what we're talking about this morning. He had a divine nature, he's fully God, and he has a human nature, he's fully man. So we just have a human nature, but Jesus has two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. He's truly man, and he's truly God. The struggle is, and this is what I've been struggling with for a month now, is how exactly does this work? What exactly does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus was fully human? That's what I want us to continue thinking about this morning. Last week we talked about how in Luke 1, this wonderful Christmas passage, Jesus is conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus does not have a human father, but he has a real human mother. So in his humanity, and this is what we think about at Christmas time, in his humanity, Jesus was a real baby. And he was just like any other baby. He cried, he slept, he dirtied his diapers, he did everything that a newborn baby does. And he grew up. He grew up into a toddler, then into a boy, and he grew up into a young man, then he grew up into a man. And even those people around him who saw Jesus his entire life These people had no idea that Jesus was God in the flesh. They thought he was just an ordinary man. And that's because Jesus was truly human. And just like us, he had a real human mind. And his understanding increased as he grew. This is is Luke 2, verse 52. And it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom. As he grew up, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In his humanity, Jesus had to learn. That's what it says. He increased in wisdom. This means as a human, he went through the learning process just like all of us. He learned the Bible. How did he learn the Bible? By reading it. So this ordinary process of learning was part of Jesus' real humanity. And this is what the church has understood for almost 2,000 years. Now, this is my struggle. When I hear that Jesus increased in wisdom that he had to learn things. To me, it almost sounds blasphemous because it sounds like you're saying that Jesus is just a man and he's not God. But that's not what the scripture says and that's not what the church has taught. So it's important again to remember that Jesus in his deity, 
in his deity, as the second person of the Trinity, in his deity, he's truly God. So even as a baby in his deity, he's God. He never stopped being God. And in his deity, Jesus' knowledge, we're going to talk about his knowledge, Jesus' knowledge is infinite in his deity. But in his humanity, he was limited. He limited himself in his humanity while he was on the earth because he had to be truly human. And this was the surprising thing to me, and I guess I've just missed it, but every solid theologian that I've been able to find has been in agreement on this. I've looked at numerous commentaries by guys like Wayne Grudem and John Frame, and I've read countless just solid conservative uh, Bible-believing pastors and theologians, and they're all in agreement. And what they're saying is, and what the church has understood is this, that Jesus, in his humanity, while he was on the earth, Jesus limited his power and he limited his knowledge on his own initiative. He had to have limited power because real human beings are not all powerful. And Jesus had to be fully human. And while he was on the earth, Jesus limited his knowledge in his humanity because true human beings are not all-knowing. A real human being doesn't know everything. And Jesus is a real human being. And in his humanity, he doesn't know everything. So think about this. While on earth, Jesus could have accessed his divine power, which is infinite. But in his humanity, he didn't do that. He did not access his divine power. While on earth, Jesus could have accessed his divine knowledge, which is infinite. But in his humanity, he did not do that. He did not access his divine knowledge. Instead, he humbled himself by becoming a real human being. So the teaching of the church has been that when Jesus performed... So think about when Jesus performed miracles, right? Or when he had this special knowledge. Let's, Let's ponder that for a little bit. When Jesus performed miracles, when he had this supernatural power to heal or whatever, he did not, this is the teaching of the church, he did not do these miracles in his own divine power. Instead, he performed his miracles in his humanity as the man Jesus, and he was empowered by God. And when Jesus knew certain things that people normally don't know, when he had this supernatural knowledge, The church has understood that Jesus did not know these things in his own divine knowledge. Instead, this knowledge was revealed to him by God. So God the Father or God the Holy Spirit was working through the man Jesus when these miracles happened and when Jesus had supernatural knowledge. Again, we're not, we're we're saying that, I know this is difficult, we're saying that in his deity, Jesus is fully God. He knows everything. He's all powerful. He's the creator and sustainer of the world. But in his humanity, He was limited while he was on this earth. And because he did, Jesus did not access his own power or his own knowledge in his divine nature because the whole point of Jesus becoming a man was to come in weakness, to save us. I've stressed that there's so much mystery to this, but I'm trying to show that, 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 and I'm trying to understand myself, that in his deity while on earth, the earth, again, Jesus in his deity is the all-powerful God. As Paul says in, in Colossians 2.9, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So in his deity, he's the sovereign God of the universe, but in his humanity, he's a real human. And he had a body just like ours. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He, he sweat. He bled like us. He got tired and he slept. He took upon himself a human psychology. He had a human mind. 
He had a human brain. How did he learn to read? Because he was taught how to read. When he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and he recites these verses, they're all from Deuteronomy, how did he know those? I think he knew them because he read them and he memorized them, just like we can. So I've realized, I mentioned this last week, I've realized that through this study of Hebrews, that my own understanding of Jesus' humanity was off by a little bit. I've never been taught anything different on this in my understanding of Jesus. My understanding of Jesus was that even in his humanity, he had this infinite knowledge. So I thought up until recently that in his humanity, Jesus had divine knowledge. I thought even as a human, he knew everything. Well, it turns out that this view was condemned by the church in the 300s, okay? There was a, there was a teacher, by the, there was a guy named Apollinarius, and Apollinarius taught that Jesus did not have a real human mind. Apollinarius thought that even in his humanity, Jesus had a divine mind, a divine brain. And this view was called Apollinarianism, okay? This view said that even while walking on the earth, Jesus had divine knowledge and a divine mind. And the church said, no, that's not right. The church said that Jesus was fully human. He had a real human brain, a real human mind. And in his humanity, Jesus was limited in his knowledge and understanding because he was a real human who had a brain like us. And as it says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 17, Jesus shared in our humanity because we're flesh and blood. And he had to be made like us in every way, including our minds, including our brains. So Jesus, again, had to be like us in every way except he was without sin. And until recently, as I've said, I believed wrongly about Jesus' knowledge. I I wasn't doing this intentionally, but I didn't know that this had been condemned by the church 1,500 years ago. It's not like I was trying to be wrong. I didn't know any better. I was, I was trying to read through the, the scriptures and understand the New Testament. And when you, when you read through it, there's just a lot of questions that when you come through this, there's a lot of difficulties. I've even talked with a number of you folks about this. Even during the last few months, I've t- talked with lots of families about this, about this issue. And as, as I've struggled through this, through my study of Hebrews, certain things have started to make more sense. And I think I'm getting a better understanding of Jesus' true humanity. For example, this one has baffled me, and I know it's confusing to some of y'all. Turn with me to Mark 13. So this is one of these passages where when you first read it, you, you go, it just makes, it didn't make any sense to me. But look at Mark 13, and we'll look at verse 32. Mark 13, 32. Jesus is talking about the day when he will return. He talk, he's talking about his second coming, okay? And look at, and, and look what he says, Mark 13, 32. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So Jesus says, even he doesn't know when he's going to return while he's on the earth. Now, let me just say this as a, as an aside, I think Jesus now in his resurrected body, I think things have changed. He's been enthroned. He is still human, but I I believe in some way he has this knowledge that is not limited like he was on this earth. But he says right here, he doesn't know when he's going to return. And I thought, how can that be right? I thought, what does that mean? Well, it means this. In his humanity, when Jesus was on the earth, again, he was a real person. He had a human mind and limited knowledge just like you and me. And he did not know when he was going to return. 
Because do real people with human minds know the future? No, we don't. And in his human nature, Jesus was a real human. He didn't know the future. Now, again, I'm going to keep stressing this. As the second person of the Trinity and his deity, Christ knows everything. And that never stopped. In his deity, his knowledge is infinite. But in his humanity, he did not know the future. Here's another one. This is in Mark. We don't have to turn there. But in Mark 5, you may remember this account. There's this huge crowd pressing in on Jesus. And a woman comes up to touch him. A woman comes up to touch Jesus. And Jesus knows that someone has touched him. And he starts looking around and he says, who touched me? He, start, he doesn't know. And the disciples say, there's this huge crowd. How could you know? They, they start saying, How, you know, you can't, you can't know all this. And he keeps on saying, who touched me? And I, my question was, how could Jesus not know? Well, again, in his humanity, he has limited knowledge, just like us. He has a real human mind. Now, all this is really difficult to understand because... There are times when Jesus has supernatural knowledge, right? There are times when he knows things that only God can know. There's a bunch of them. For example, in John 1, before he meets Nathaniel, he knows all about Nathaniel. He knows his character. And and apparently he's miles away, but he tells Nathaniel, I saw you sitting underneath a fig tree. And, and, And so he knows these things. How does Jesus know this? A similar thing happens in John 4. Jesus meets this Samaritan woman at the well. And he says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, think about what he knows here. He said, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So Jesus has just met this woman and he knows all her history. So my question is, in his humanity, how does he know this? How does he know about this? What about this? Jesus tells, remember this account? Jesus tells Peter to go fishing, and he says, the first fish you catch will have a coin in its mouth. And so he says, take that coin and then go pay the temple tax. And that's what happens. So he says, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and pay the temple tax. Apparently, Peter did this, and that's what happened. How does he know this? So that's the question I've had. How how does he have this supernatural knowledge? Well, here's what the church has understood on this. There's a difference between supernatural knowledge and divine infinite knowledge. Is it possible for human beings to be revealed things to them where they know something from God that no one else knows? Yeah, it happens a lot in scriptures. A lot of the prophets are given given something from God. But the fact that Moses knew things, right? Elisha and Elijah knew things. They, they knew what was going to happen. But it wasn't because they're God. It's because God had revealed these things to them. So, for example, I love, I love First and Second Kings. First and Second Kings, I, for some reason, I just love those, that Old Testament narrative. And in Second Kings 6, it says that the prophet Elisha, I love this account, the prophet Elisha knew everything the king of Syria said in his private bedroom. So Elisha is then gets the, the king of Syria is like 100 miles away or more in Damascus. The king of Syria is in Damascus. Elisha is in Israel. Elisha knows things that the king of Syria is saying. And then Elisha goes to the king of Israel and tells the king of Israel. So how does Elisha know that? It's not because Elisha is God. How does Elisha know that? It's because God has revealed these things to Elisha. And I think the same thing has happened in Jesus in his humanity. In his humanity, God had to reveal things to him. 
Now, again, in his deity, he knows all. But in his humanity, while he's on the earth, while he's walking around on the earth, the only way Jesus had supernatural knowledge when it was given to him by the Father or by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you remember when he asked Peter, he says, who do people say that I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ. And, and Jesus says, it's not because of flesh and blood that you know this. It's because my Father has revealed this to you. I think the same sort of revelation came to Jesus in his humanity. God had to reveal things to him. Also, this was different about Jesus, too, that's different from us. Jesus had, there was a close communion between him and the Father because even in his humanity, there was no sin separating Jesus from the Father. A lot of times, because of our sin, in fact, this is an encouragement to to walk in holiness and walk in obedience and walk in faith because when you walk in obedience and faith, one of the things that happens is you draw closer to the Lord and you experience joy in that. And so Jesus, in his, even in his humanity, there's no sin. So he has this closer connection with the Father that oftentimes we don't have. So again, that's an encouragement to, to want to live a life of obedience because there's just this joy of, of walking with the Lord when you don't have this sin separating us. So, but Jesus had no sin, so he has this close communion. He's still in his humanity, he's still fully man, but he has this close communion. So I think in that way, Jesus was more like Adam before the fall. Jesus is the second Adam. Adam before the fall has this close communion with God uh, because there's no sin there, okay? So again, but it appears that in his humanity, Jesus only had supernatural knowledge when the Father or the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And so, as I said, the church has understood, and this is kind of blowing me away recently, but in Jesus' everyday life while on this earth, he did not know what was going to happen the next day. I'll say it again. While on earth, in his humanity, Jesus did not know what was going to happen each day. He had to live by faith. Now, he knew certain things. He knew he was going to be crucified, right? He knew that on the third day he would be raised again. He told his disciples this many times before. But the reason he knew it was because it it, it had been in the scriptures. He had studied those and because the Father had revealed them to him. Also, I think if if you've read the account of the transfiguration, Jesus is meeting with Moses and Elijah. And I think Moses and Elijah are talking about these things to him. So there was this special revelation that, that Jesus received. But in his humanity... I don't think Jesus knew the full weight of what he was going to go through until the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was arrested. I think it was in the Garden of Gethsemane that when he began to see the horror of what he was about to go through. Later on in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus cried out to the Father in prayer, and it says he prayed with weeping and sobbing, with loud cries and tears. And I think this is primarily talking about Jesus' suffering in Gethsemane and then and, and as he, before he goes to the cross. Because in Gethsemane, he said, my soul is troubled to the point of death. And he said, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. So that's when the Father, I think, revealed to the man Jesus the type of horrific suffering that he was about to go through on the cross. So in his humanity, the revelation Jesus received was progressive. There were more and more things revealed to him in his humanity, and he had to live within the limits of human knowledge. 
So think about this. this. Again, this is blowing me away. Each day when Jesus woke up in the morning, he did not know what was going to happen that day. He had to live by faith. So think of Jesus in his humanity as he wondered how he would handle the suffering, how he would handle the huge responsibility placed on him. Think about Jesus as he studied the scriptures and studied the prophecies of the Messiah and realizing, as this is revealed to him, realizing those prophecies were about him. Think about Jesus dealing with all the disappointments that we deal with, dealing with all the frustrations that we deal with in his humanity and having all the limitations that we have as humans. Think about Jesus as he rose early in the morning to pray, trying to stay awake or trying to stay awake at night as he's praying, he's trying to pray to the Father. Think of him trying to do the best he can to handle hateful people who opposed him. These same people eventually plotting to kill him. John 1.11, it says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So again, I've just been thinking about Jesus in his humanity, dealing with the heartbreak and the discouragement that comes from just being a true human. As I've been thinking about this, I have been just amazed thinking about Jesus willing to share our human nature and to be our brother. And through all the limitations and through all the suffering, he never sinned. Even in his weakness as a real human, Jesus had this unwavering belief in his Father's love. He had an unwavering faith in the Word of God and in his Father's faithfulness. It's amazing. There's a man named Alexander White who was a Scottish Presbyterian minister from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And he wrote this. White, White said this, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase. But he said, When the Messiah actually came in the flesh, he sought out all the scriptures concerning himself, and he believed them, and he made every jot and tittle his very own. Day by day, hour by hour, Jesus of Nazareth read in the Psalms and in the prophets the things that were written about himself. And he did this until his father's word was more precious to him than food. As a child, Jesus may not have thought much about the Messianic scriptures because as a child, he thought like a child and spoke like a child. And as a real child, he could not understand the full weight of many of the scriptures. But when Jesus became a man, he read the deepest Messianic scriptures day and night. And at every reading, he made them more and more his own until at last he came to the full assurance that he was the Messiah. And more and more, he understood his duties as the Messiah. And Jesus' faith in all these things was so strong that he was always found ready and willing to fulfill all the Messianic scriptures concerning himself. And he did this to the very end. Even on the cross, Jesus still delighted to do his Father's will. And pleasing his Father... And securing our salvation was deeper in his heart than anything else. I know a lot of this is difficult to understand. I'm still wrestling with a lot of this. And I would just encourage you, if you have questions, you want to talk about this, I love talking about that. I say that about a lot of things. We're a small church. We're a family. We can talk about these things. But I would encourage you to struggle with this. And I want to, I want to close the sermon with, with a passage from Hebrews 5.8. And it says this, Although Jesus was a son... He learned obedience through what he suffered. So think about that. In his humanity, Jesus learned obedience, and he learned obedience through suffering. He learned obedience through suffering as a man and by living by faith and not knowing the future. And he learned obedience through suffering on the cross. 
But in his humanity, he lived a life of obedience and faith. He had confidence in the fact that he was the son and he trusted the father, that the father would give him the final victory. He had faith in his father's love. But through the anguish of this incredible suffering, Jesus learned obedience. I'm blown away by the fact that the infinite, all-powerful, eternal son of God would become a man would take on human nature forever. He, he's still human. He's still a man right now in his resurrected, glorified state. And that in his humanity, he had to learn obedience through suffering. This is the most incredible mystery ever. But as I said last week, as difficult as these concepts are, as difficult as it is to understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man, this shouldn't lead us to frustration or confusion. It really should lead us to worship It really should allow our hearts to well up in praise and thankfulness because we see the depth of our Savior's love for us. Also, because Jesus became a real human, he understands what we're going through. He understands and he can help. If you look at in Hebrews 2.18, it says, For because he himself was suffered, has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. In his humanity, Jesus obtained an ability in some way in his humanity to understand our suffering. And because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, that is when he was going under trial, because he suffered, he's able to help us as we undergo trials and temptations. No matter what we're dealing with, we should remember this, that in his humanity, Jesus has dealt with stress and pressure and trials just like us. In fact, he dealt with way more than anything we will have to deal with because on the cross, he had all the sin of the world placed on him. And on the cross, he had the judgment of the Father placed on him as he died in our place. But even in his suffering, Jesus lived by faith, by trusting in the Father. And what that means for us is this, and again, I've just been pondering this a lot lately, is that when you're worried or when I'm worried or anxious, when we're brokenhearted, remember Jesus in his humanity went through the same thing. In fact, again, he went through something far worse because he continued to live by faith. He continued trusting in the Father even during suffering. And that means that we can live by faith. We can continue trusting God. We can continue believing his promises even when we're going under, undergoing trials. We can continue living lives of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, even during difficulties. I would say this, too. If you're not a Christian, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, think about the depths that Christ went through to save a people for himself. Think about what he went through. The God-man, he had to be fully God and fully man to bridge that gap between us and God. And he went through that, that for us. And my encouragement is to turn to him in faith. To give up the controls of your life and turn them over to Christ. Receive his love and forgiveness. See the depths of, of love and sacrifice that he made as he became a man, as he died the death that we deserve. You can know the Lord. You can know him. You can love him and you can receive his forgiveness. That can happen today. And for my fellow Christians, remember this, that our Savior knows us. He truly knows us. He had to walk by faith just like we have to. And in his humanity, he had to rely on the word of God. As he faced each day, he had to trust in his father's love, not knowing what exactly was going to happen that day. 
And we do the same thing. We can live by faith. It also means that our amazing Savior knows what we're going through because he's been there. He's walked in our shoes, and he loves us, and he promises to be with us forever. And that's a wonderful thing to remember at this Christmas season. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to take on flesh, to become a real human. Thank you, Jesus, for, for becoming a man and, and, and limiting yourself by adding, by taking on human nature. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to understand these things and to struggle in these things. I confess this has been a huge change for me in just going through this. And I want, we want to think rightly. We want to think biblically. So help us in this, Lord. I know this is difficult. But I do pray, Lord, that you would allow us to to struggle through these things, to wrestle through these things, and really it would lead to worship. It would lead to exalting you. Help us, Lord, in that. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for, for, again, for taking on flesh, for going to the cross, for dying the death that we deserve to die. You took it upon yourself, and therefore there's no condemnation hanging over your people. You love us. You care about us because Jesus has already taken away the guilt and the punishment, and, and, and he's imputed. We have imputed to us Jesus' righteousness. So now, Father, when you look at your people, you see the righteousness of Christ instead of our sin. Help us to rejoice in that, and I pray that that would be a motivation for us to walk by faith and walk and live in, in lives, lives of obedience for your glory, for your exaltation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.